It's part four of the Believer's Toolbox. So that means we've done three already. Bible, prayer, and faith. And tonight is part four, which is worship. Uh, you see, worship is more than just something that we do for God, although that is the main element of it. But it is something that helps us as individuals and helps us succeed for God's kingdom. Uh, so Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, we'll be reading there in a moment. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. A missionary tells a story of a woman that he saw in India, and she's holding in her arms a weak and whining infant, while, while at her side stood a beautiful and healthy child. A man, uh, the man of God saw her walk to the banks of the Ganges River, and as she walks up to the river, she takes her young, healthy child and she throws it into the water to the crocodiles to be eaten alive as an offering. And then she turned around towards home again, still clutching the sick child in her arms. Tears were running down her face when he stopped her to question her concerning her shocking actions. However, she proudly replied in defense of her conduct and said, Oh, sir, we always give our gods the best. You see, for us, worshiping false gods, perhaps in more subtle ways in life, will lead to sacrificing our best. Whether it be our children, whether it be our talents, our time, or our resources, we will sacrifice our best to a God that ultimately won't do anything for you. We should also be willing to give God our best and everything else in this life. But we serve a loving and compassionate God, and worshiping Him with our best always turns out better than sacrificing our children. True worship is to present ourselves to God through our efforts and our resources in our life. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, which says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So this evening, Believer's Toolbox, part four, which is worship. Let's pray. Father God, we ask, Lord, that you would help us this evening, Lord, that your spirit uh, would minister, God, that you would go out amongst us, God, that we would feel your presence in this place, Lord, that you would speak to us, God, on a personal level this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So the reality about mankind, we, I talked about this a little bit uh, last week in the, in, for the toolbox or the tool of faith, whether we consider, people consider themselves a person of faith or not, you all, we all have faith in something, right? We all are sitting on a chair and have faith that it will hold you up. Last night at the event we went to, this woman was putting her faith in a chair and it collapsed underneath her. <laughs> Sometimes we put our faith in things that will fail us. But for tonight, we're talking about worship. And the reality is we are all worshipers. In one way or another, we were created that way. God created us to worship. Isaiah 43, 21. God speaking says, The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Think about this. This is God talking about people, mankind. He created us for the purpose of declaring his praise. 
So what is worship? Worship is something that we do to give honor to something, but the reality is that we tend to miss, as we sing songs on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights, is that any kind of worship will require something of you. When we sing, it's at least requiring the breath in our lungs and the effort that we give forth to sing. But any kind of worship will require something of us. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. As Noah uh, and his family and all the animals are coming off of the ark, and they literally have nothing except for what was on the ark with them, verse 20 says, And then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. He gave something of himself to worship God in that moment. He put forth an effort in his ability to build the altar. He put forth his, his resources of one of every clean animal to sacrifice, to give to God in a form of worship. Ultimately, worship, whether it's of God or of the world, is a matter of acknowledging a hierarchy, putting something at a high level in your life. The Old Testament word for uh, worship in the Hebrew language is, is uh, shakah, which literally means to bow down, to crouch, or to fall down. So this is speaking of a, a physical position of bowing down like this, but many times, as the Old Testament speaks of it, it's also speaking of a spiritual position, of bowing our, our souls down before God. This is a sign of respect and submission to a greater power. In the New Testament, uh, the word worship from the Greek language is latria, which means ministration of God in divine service. And this takes it another level. This is talking about putting forth acts and efforts, living life in a certain way that is worshipful to God. This is living a life, as Romans 12, 1 says, as a living sacrifice to God, which is our spiritual worship. Worshiping God is a spiritual and self-denial through humility by acknowledging His hierarchy. And when we start talking about self-denial, we start getting into some kind of strange religious things where people live only off of like off water and crackers and they wear sackcloth and they whip their backs and stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about self-denial of our own abilities, our own power, our own strength, and coming humbly before God as a weak vessel willing to be filled by His power acknowledging that He is almighty and we are not. That He is powerful and we are weak. That He created us and we created nothing. That all that we have is from Him. That we humble ourselves before Him and worship His power. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 23 through 31, which says, Sing to the Lord all the earth, Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous work among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. 
For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. <coughs> Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, Ascribe to the Lord his glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him in all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations that the Lord reigns. This is talking about giving God credit for who he is how powerful he is, what he's done. There's a word that it uses. It says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Ascribe to the Lord, O families, ascribe to the Lord his glory and strength. This word ascribe means to attribute something to a cause. So in other words, to give credit where credit is due. To acknowledge God for who he is. To ascribe something of God's attributes is to verbally speak about how great he is. This is what worshiping God looks like for us. But what about worshiping of the world? What does worship of the world look like? You see, the tricky part about worshiping the world is that it will always appeal to us. It will always appeal to our flesh. But the reality is that worshiping anything other than God is idolatry. That's what his word says. And the issue with idolatry is that you're worshiping other gods. What did the text that we just read say? For the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. And God is very clear to us that he not only does not want us to worship other gods, but it has negative consequences for us. Exodus chapter 20 verses 2 through 6 from the Ten Commandments. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves carved images or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and in the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You might be thinking to yourself, I haven't bowed down to anything, right? And we're talking about a physical position, but what did I just say? Oftentimes the Old Testament when speaking of worshiping is speaking of a spiritual position of bowing down before things. As I said, we are all worshipers in one way or another. So the question is, what are we worshiping with our lives? A good way to tell what we worship with our lives is to look at what we do with our time. More specifically, what we do with our time when we miss church. Where are we putting our time and resources into? What are we doing instead of spending time in prayer, instead of spending time in the Word of God? Why do we worship the world? Why, why is it that mankind wants to do that? Well, first of all, it's easier. It's easier to worship the world than to worship God. 
it comes with less reproach. Like the world doesn't care if we go out there and we bow down to Kim Kardashian like everybody else. Or we bow down to a, a great career like everybody else. Or to hobbies or to whatever it is. There, you, there's endless things that we put so much time and effort into that when we really analyze it, we are worshiping these things. We're placing them at a pedestal in our life. Worshiping the world is appealing to our flesh. It brings our flesh pleasure. It satisfies our emotions, right? I want to do this, so I'm going to do it. Worshiping the world sometimes gives us a quick fix. Many times we're not patient enough to wait on God for His timing and for His answers in our lives. So we turn to the world, we bow down to the world, and we take what it gives us, even though it will never be even close to what God can give us. But we can get it sooner and easier. And we can fit in with the world a little better. We all have an, a desire to be accepted. But Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. We should be desiring after the acceptance of our Father long before the acceptance of the world. But why should we worship God, right? There's so many people that we talk to on outreaches and stuff. Do you believe in God? Yeah, but I don't really feel the need to go to church or to read, my, read the Bible or to really seek out, you know, who this God is. I just think there's somebody out there who created the earth and he's just kind of watching us, right? They have this idea that there's a God, a creator, a greater being, but they don't really understand why we should worship him. First, I want to talk about why it benefits us as Christians. Praise and worship for us is a weapon and a tool in our walk. We see examples of this throughout the Bible. Acts chapter 16, verse 25 through 26. Paul and Silas are imprisoned for their faith. And it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Think about this. They're in jail for their faith, and they decide to praise and worship God anyway. Like how many people would find themselves in that situation and they're like, okay, that's it. This Christian thing is not working out for me. I'm out here trying to outreach in the streets of, of, of Israel and I'm now in jail for it. But they decide to sing praise and worship to God while they're in jail. And what happens is that they experience freedom. They experience favor and God works miraculously for them. And on top of that, the story continues that the jailer, the one man who was not supposed to let them out, walks them out personally and says, what do I need to do to be saved? You guys got something going on. And, the, and it continues the story, and they, they go back to the jailer's house, and, and the jailer and his whole family accept Jesus Christ, are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they're saved and set free from their sins. Because two men decided to praise and worship God 
when everything in the world said not to. There's the story, well-known story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That King Nebuchadnezzar creates this altar and he says, everyone must bow down to it when you hear the music playing. And if you don't bow down, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace and you'll die. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had made a commitment to God that they would not bow down to any other gods. They understood the value of what God taught in the law, that you do not put any other gods before him. Not even you, King Nebuchadnezzar, not even when you're threatening my life before me. And so as the story goes, they, they play the music and everybody bows down to the idol and there they are standing there in the midst, like standing out like a sore thumb, right? Imagine a crowd of people, this music plays and everybody goes... Except for three dudes. And they stand before the king and they say, we will never bow down before you even if it costs us our life because we worship God and God only. And as the story goes on, the king gets so mad at this that he cranks the temperature up to, of the oven seven times hotter than it was before, so hot that the guys who walked up to the furnace to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, they died from the heat just from being on the outside of it. And then King Nebuchadnezzar, waiting for them to be burned alive, gets a glimpse of them standing around in the fire. He says, Wait a minute, they're not dead. They're walking in the fire. And not only that, he says, did we not cast three men into the fire? They said, yeah, we did. It was three. And then he said, but I see four men in there. Not only do I see four men in there, but they're unbound. Walking in the midst of the fire, they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. You see, this man didn't know who he was talking about. But even then, he saw Jesus walking in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and recognized true power. And their willingness to lay down their life as a literal sacrifice for God triggered God's defense. And not only saved their life, but, I mean, you guys, if you saw that, you'd be like, whoa, right? King Nebuchadnezzar was like, whoa, I made a mistake. <laughs> this stupid altar that I made, we're going to tear this thing down and we're going to worship these guys' gods. Through their faithfulness, their worship of their lives, not only were their lives spared, but the king was saved and likely a lot of his kingdom because he set some new rules after that. But how can we apply worship today as a tool or a weapon for us? You see, worship is a tool against the enemy. It's a, it's a weapon against the enemy, I should say. That when we worship God, demons can't help but flee. That when we proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ, spirits can't help but run. Think about it. It's not enough to just say, oh yeah, I love Jesus. Even the demons believe and they tremble. But do we live a life that is worshipful to God? Do we declare his praises and his glories? There's a story in the book of Acts of these men who, who catch a glimpse of what God's people are doing. They see them casting out demons from people. They see them setting people free and see people get healed. And they're like, okay, 
uh, we, we believe in God, so we're going to give this a shot. And, and so they go to cast a demon out of this guy, and they say, in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches about, we command you to come out. And they're like, this should work. And the guy, possessed by demons, looks at them and says, Paul I know, Jesus I know, but who are you? And the story goes on that one man ravaged those seven men, ripped their clothes off them, sent them running naked. Why? It's not just because they declared the name of Jesus with their mouth. No, it's because, they, sorry, it's because they only declared the name of Jesus with their mouth. But demons flee when we declare the name of Jesus with our life. There's a difference. It's not enough to just say, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe blah, 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 blah. But is your life living it? Does, do, does your life represent the gospel? What does our text say? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. That you present your bodies, your life, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. To lay down our life before God. That is worship. And it is a weapon against the enemy. The enemy can't stand to hear genuine praise of God. It's also a tool for us. In service and in ministry. In other words, to give God credit for what he's done to ascribe to him, like we said. When we ascribe God his credit, his glory, we humble ourselves and we exalt God. Worship is edifying to our spirit and being. This one a lot of us are very familiar with. We come in on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesdays, and we sing the songs and the song service gets over. And yeah, we don't have a big awesome band with flashing lights, but we all feel great. Oh yeah, I felt good. Right, just coming in and singing, driving down the road and singing along with Positive Life Radio or whatever. It's because when we sing praises to God, it's... I didn't want to say that. Because when we sing praises to God, it's edifying to our soul. Something happens within us that builds us up. Because we're giving glory to the one person who can build us up from within. It is edification to our spirit and to our being. This is both spiritual and physical. Spiritually speaking, Psalm chapter 100 verses 1 through 5 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. And we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all the generations. This is what we do, right? When we come into church we come into his presence with singing, giving glory to God. That we serve him with our lives. That's what it says. Serve the Lord with gladness. That's worshiping God. And this edifies our soul. It builds us up from the inside out. 
It also edifies our being, our body, our physicality. 2 Kings 17, verse 38 through 39 says, And you shall not forget the covenant that I have made with you. You shall not fear other gods, but you shall fear the Lord your God, and he will deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. God is speaking to a nation who has enemies who literally want to kill them. And he's reminding them, listen, worship me and me only, and I will protect you. Turn to me in all circumstances, and I will protect you from your enemies. Worship is a central element of our connection with God, and we need a connection with God. Worship is one of our many connections to God. But beyond that, outside of just ourselves, it is also a gift that we can give him. There's not much we can do for God. He did it all. But worship is one of the few things that we can choose to give to God that He loves to receive. We decide what we are worshiping, we decide how we worship these things. The question is, are we giving these things to God? Are we worshiping God? Why should we worship God? Because we owe it to God. Psalm 86, verse 9 through 10 says, All the nations you you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Revelation chapter 4, verse 10, 11 says, The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne, him being Jesus, and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. We are part of those all things. We exist because God made us. We exist because he said we could. And if we looked around and we were honest with ourselves, we know and we see the evidence of all that God has done for us that we do not deserve. And it's a lot. Just the fact that we have breath in our lungs, he's given us more than we deserve. But every single one of us can look around and find blessing after blessing that he, we might sometimes feel like we don't have much. But we have so much more than we could ever gain on our own because we don't even exist without God's authority. But the most important reason why we should worship God, why we should give our lives as a living sacrifice to him is because he did the one thing that we could absolutely never do and it was cleanse us of our sins (coughs) Isaiah 53 verses 3 through 7 this is speaking of Jesus says he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like the lamb that was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that was before the shears is silent, so he not opened his mouth. If there's any reason to worship Jesus Christ, it's because of this. Because he did what he didn't have to do. To do what we couldn't do. Even when we rejected him, when we didn't give him the credit that he was due, he still went to the cross for our sins. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. He went through what he went through for us. It says we went astray. He didn't go astray. And he got beat for it, not us. And on him was laid the iniquities of us all. Think about this. It says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Why is that important? Because he was suffering the punishment of our sins. As God of the universe, he could have opened up his mouth and convicted every single person in the room, including us, and said, I don't deserve this. I'm innocent. Here's what you guys have messed up about you. There's no reason why I should be going through this. But instead, he kept his mouth shut and he took our punishment. When he didn't have to. When he had every reason not to. Innocent could have convicted every single one of us instead. But as the Bible tells us and the gospel shows us, that he did not open his mouth once to defend himself or to convict us of our sins. But yet he went to the cross for us, for you and I, so that we could make heaven our home for eternity. That is why we worship God. Because he did what we couldn't do. He fixed what we broke and can't fix. We worship God because he gave us life. And without him, we're damned. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this evening.